Thank you for tuning in to the You Own the Experience podcast. In this week's episode, I sit down with Jack Copeland, founder and CEO of Staffing Future, and Lauren Jones of Leap Consulting, who's our resident tech stack queen, to discuss a course we call the Tech Stack 101. In our conversation, we discuss the process of creating your own tech stack, the benefits from your investment that you should expect, as well as how to measure those, how COVID really affected the speed of digital transformation in 2020. This week's episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Staffing Industry Analysts, or SIA. And there is no Ask Lauren segment, as this whole episode is one giant Ask Lauren. But Lauren's dog does make a rather loud cameo during the episodes, uh, so fair warning to that. Guys, please remember to rate, review, and share the episode wherever you listen to podcasts. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much. Where am I? What's happening right now, Doc? What's up, guys? Thank you so much for tuning in. Lauren is confused already, but we are going to define a tech stack for you today. So let me introduce the experts in the house. First and foremost, we'll go ladies first. We have Mrs. Lauren Jones from Leap Consulting. Hi, Lauren. What is happening? You should be used to Lauren if you're a frequent listener to the pod, since she is our resident tech stack queen. And then we have Captain Jack Copeland. He is actually not a captain by any designation. But Jack, say hello. Hello, I am the captain of the good ship staff in future. And I've also also nearly crafted the boat into a yacht once. So extensive history captaining. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I have so many questions. But I don't <laughs> Sorry. Okay, guys. So the goal of this episode and this series, we're going to do a series here, is to help people understand how to build a tech stack for their staffing firm. Now, we got on a call last week, recording this on the day before Thanksgiving, and we were like, we probably should do some like 101 level courses before we jump into like the 404 or the 303, right? Or whatever it is. Uh, so this is going to be the 101 level. We're going to stay at the 30,000 foot or above level here. We're going to talk a lot of high level strategy. We're going to define some words for you guys. I already tasked my marketing director to create a worksheet. So get ready for some coloring or some matching or some fill in the blanks because that is about to happen. You guys are going to be able to download a high school level vocabulary worksheet for this episode. I and want maybe, a word search. I want a word search. Uh, word searches are so overrated. It's just good at recognizing patterns. Anyway, this is I'm a teacher, right? So anyway. All right. I got two experts. Lauren, obviously the tech stack guru. Jack has been consulting basically since the womb on how to build an efficient tech stack. He came out and basically was born into a staffing firm. He actually ran payroll on his first birthday. By three months, he was building websites and doing lead generation for his parents' staffing firm. But yeah, his, his family owned a staffing firm. Anyway, I got two experts for you guys. I know we're being silly, but it's going to be great. And the scenario that I want to start with is, okay, so Jack and Lauren, you guys both consult for the staffing and, rec- and recruiting space. We get you into a room with the CEO and his buddy, who's the co-founder of a staffing firm. There are 10, 15 people. We'll start small, like just kind of like, like a hypothetical scenario. And you have to sell them why they should use you as your consultant to build their technology stack because they're trying to modernize. What would you start with? So let's use that as the prompt. Like, let's just kind of wax on, like, hey, what would you say to start this conversation? And Lauren, we'll let you go first. Jack, I'll let you go first the next time, next prompt. So go ahead. Okay. 
Well, so my firm focuses on three primary areas of opportunity. First, it's really just the abundance of technology and being able to navigate your way through all of it in an organized way. I engage with a lot of businesses who are already after one week in demo overload, right? So it's a part of having a consultant on your team is being able to kind of cut through the noise and really define what it is that your vision is, right? And then the tools that align with that sort of end vision. And then the second area of focus is you can buy all the technology in the world, but if you don't have a good change management plan, it's not going to work. And then the third is evangelization. If you don't have a plan to go out and evangelize said tech stack, then it doesn't matter because you can't put out one press release and, and have the whole world shut up and have the whole world think that your brand has changed. Oh my god, hang on. Lauren is gonna mute whatever just happened. Let me just recap what she just said. So you gotta start with the end in mind, right? You <laughs> You have to, Jack and Lauren, by the way, if you're, if you're like, we're not going to see this, but everyone is laughing hysterically trying to fall out of their chair. So start with the end of mine, right? And then make sure that you, and Lauren, you're going to correct me here because I can't remember the number, the second one. What's the second one? And then I'll jump back in. The second is a good change management and adoption plan, right? You put your stack together and you got to make sure you have a plan in place that the technology that you buy, you get an ROI. That means change management. That means adoption. And then the third is evangelization of the overarching tech stack. So you can show the world and articulate to the world why you're better, faster, stronger because of this investment. Got it. So Jack, what would your pitch be? It might be similar, but just like yeah, so I think mine's a little bit different. Mine is just in terms of a pitch. Obviously, what we do is a lot more on the sort of marketing tech stack front anyway. But I think really one of the things that we come up against a lot is trying to sell the idea of like, why have one? Why is this important? I still deal with a lot of staffing companies that will turn around and say, well, our website and our technology is not going to sell to our customers. Our workflow is not going to sort this out. I need good people. I need them hitting the phones. I need networking, all the rest of it. And I think if you take a step back with a business leader and you say, yeah, it's a little bit cheesy, but where do you want your company to be in a year? Where do you want your company to be in three years? Where do you want your company to be in five years? As they mentally sort of scale that organization and they start to figure out what it is they're talking about, it's going to be incredibly process-driven a lot of the time. At least hopefully it is if they're looking at having any kind of growth, right? They're going to expand departments, they're going to expand regions, they're going to expand niches, and what those individuals are doing kind of clogs in the system. And realistically, today in 2020, all of that is driven by technology and how technology integrates, right? We're all sat here when COVID working remotely. Most of what a recruiter and a salesperson and staffing organizations do is on the computer. So the tech stack and the vision of how do you, how is it a value to business? How do you grow your business? Fundamentally aligns to the process of how you want to build a business sort of across the board. So that's a piece one that we talk about a lot is trying to establish why is this relevant? Why is this helpful to me? How do I move away from two, three recruiters trying to train people up and then one or two people leave and it all sort of falls down where you've just got good people and good resources, but there's no process around them. There's no, no sort of cogs in the system. And then the other thing, as Lauren mentioned, in terms of like the value of a consultant or someone that knows about us, it really is the same sales pitch or the same value that they're offering as recruiters, right? Why does the IT director or CTO go out and hire a recruiter and pay a huge fee to go and find someone is because if that person doesn't, they're going to have 
have all their time sucked up, all this discovery, trying to find candidates, trying to interview them. They don't really know what they're doing. And if they make a mistake, it's a very, very costly and expensive one. And that's basically exactly when trying to figure out new technology, trying to figure out your problems, your pain points, who the suppliers are, and then select one you want, you can spend all your time on it doing nothing else and you can still get it wrong. So that's really the value in the tech stack and also the value in you know why you would work with a consultant for me. Got it. So kind of just to recap that. Number one, you both said that you hire a consultant to weed through the noise and to be a professional so that you're like you hire good people, you have good people around you because they know what they're doing. You don't hire good people then tell them what to do. And it helps that way. Got that. Jack, you were focused more on the front of the business at first, right? Because it's marketing and sales. So like, hey, like figure out a way to use marketing and sales, your website, to help your recruiters not have to be so manual. And that is probably, again, you both said the kind of the same thing. Like start with the end in mind. Like you want your recruiters to make more money. You want to have to rely less on, on brute force to win, right? And that's why you would do that. Is that pretty much on, on point, Yeah, Jack? I think it's about, it's just half of our market is really small. And if you really look at, why a lot of those organizations are small. It's not because they don't have great talent or they don't know what they're doing. It's because they haven't actually built a brand and they haven't actually built a process for training people and for automating processes and for scaling processes. So it's basically a group of individuals. That's all they've kind of got. So I think focusing on that is a, a big piece of it. All right, awesome. So first thing we mentioned is, I don't know if you mentioned it, but a tech stack, right? So a tech stack is, as defined... There's a number of definitions, and I really like this definition that I found on Google first search. A tech stack or a technology solution stack is infrastructure or a data ecosystem and is a list of all the technology services used to build and run one single application for your organization, right? So all the things that you put into your ATS or your CRM to solve issues, pointed issues that your firm has. Now, Really kind of hilariously, at the end of this definition, it says PHP is a notoriously inefficient coding language, yet is the most popular web application language that technologies are written on. Anyway, just thought that was funny. What is not part of a tech stack as we're doing this definition game right here? So, Jack, go ahead. What is not part of a tech stack? Your iPhone, probably. (laughs) Okay, good answer. Lauren, what else is not part of a tech stack? I don't know. Your iPhone. Well, it could be if you want to be mobile. Well, we're talking about commodity versus text. You can integrate Gmail, you can integrate Google Docs, you can integrate some of these into a workflow, but they're not normally considered an element of your tech stack. Yeah, your Microsoft Office. It's not necessarily the sort of administrative part is not necessarily part of your stack, what you have for email or what have you. <laughs> we don't really care about that as long as it's integrated, right? Because the what, what's the yeah. saying, Robert? You can say it. I, I always forget. There yeah. is no oh. transformation without integration. That's it. That's the line. I got to get That's a t-shirt fun. with that. Otherwise, yeah, You do. It. I need to get t-shirts for everyone. We should just tattoo that on us. Anyway. All right. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. So tech stack is defined. Integration. Let's use that one too, because I think that's a key thing about tech stack. So what is an integration and what are the ways to go about those? Well, look, we started with, you know, where do I start with my stack, right? So where, where do I even begin? And then that's all the conceptual sort of end in mind design, like you're building your dream house. You're starting with all the Pinterest pictures. You're, these are the things that I must have. A wraparound porch, a spice cabinet or whatever. These are the things I must have. Lauren and, always and, mentions the spice cabinet, by the way. So I do because I, I had to have... have. <laughs> I had to have a toilet. 
Oh, that's a commodity. That's like your Gmail, dude. Come on. Like having a functioning bathroom is your Gmail. As long as it works, it's fine. Yes, it's Gmail, Outlook, whatever. I mean, we just expect that to be there. But when you're going through this whole conceptual sort of design, this visionary process, so then it's time to go through this whiteboarding exercise of what are the resources that align with that? What kind of budget do we have? What's our core system? What is your core ATS? Do you have one? Do you need to buy one? What are the considerations in buying one? If you're in the market for one, what's really important to you? And what kind of scalability do you require? And I think that's one of the first questions I always ask is not necessarily what's your five-year plan, but where do you want to go? Because the tools that you pick today are going to have effect on tomorrow. And one of the things that I see most when we begin this process is the thinking short-term. And you want to think short-term when, right? What's the low-hanging fruit that will help generate generate revenue so I can pay for my next investment. But we also have to plan for, does this have scalability? So the integration part of that is so fundamental because you buy your technology with the intention of your people using it. And if they have to go to a million different places because it's not integrated, I mean, it's not connected, these tools are talking to one another, then you're creating disruption in your daily process. When you have disruption, you have a lack of revenue generating activity going on. And so the purpose of having integration is so all eyes can be on revenue generating activity. And if you keep them in one system, the idea is you gain adoption and you gain your primary hours focused on building revenue. Got it. Sorry, I asked that question wrong too. You, you answered it correctly though. So I appreciate you knowing what I actually want to answer and making it work. That's yeah. awesome. It's like we've done this before. Yes. All right, Jack, to ask the actual question, right? How do you like strategically, Lauren said, start with the end in mind. And then the way that you'd build the tech stack is having tools that can integrate together, right? And how do you think about that? How do you explain that to people? Yeah, so I think you think modular, right? A lot of the times we'll show some people examples of tech stacks our clients have implemented or we'll show people, you know, I mean, we've got a WordPress, right? So there's all these modules that we pull in just through a website that are really part of a website stack. And people can get a little bit overwhelmed by that. But Laura makes a really good point is that you can focus on something that's simple and easy and a quick win. But if you don't really map out where you're going, blue thinking in the long term, and you don't keep flexibility of options, then you wind up implementing something, a platform that doesn't want to integrate with new technology technology, doesn't have an open API, has limitations on that API, or you wind up going down a road where you're like, oh, cool, we did the quick win, and now we're in a position where actually we can't go from a four to a five, even though we went from a two to a four, without unpicking the whole thing and starting again. And that obviously is very sort of painful and time-consuming. Ultimately, it's all about building something that becomes bigger than the sum of its parts, right? So really being able to say, okay, to automate automate our back office processes. Our wider vision is to build a complete marketing automation brand experience. Our vision is to have a really efficient technology-driven training program. Whatever it might be that you're looking to do, you're sort of starting with the overall goals of the business. You're maybe then breaking it down into those sections or groups within your technology or your process. And then you're saying, okay, where do we need to get to? What are the elements that we need? What's the blue sky thinking of where we might want to wind up? two years, three years from now, if we had unlimited funds, unlimited resources, what do we think is going to work? 
can we make sure that as many of those options are available to us with what we're doing? And then how do we go and get some quick wins? Because no one builds all this stuff overnight. No one's got the time to go and add nine Bullhorn Marketplace partners the day that they implement and try and roll them out at the same time, even if you are using a Bullhorn SI. So yeah, it's that sort of modular approach to putting things together, trying to make them become bigger than the sum of their parts, but then also keeping the flexibility for the future. I love the modular reference. You don't have to buy the whole thing right away. You have to buy the most important parts. Even if you're putting a sofa together and you want the whole big like movie media stack, right? But you got to have the love seat first, right? Then so the two of you can watch a movie, but you eventually want to get the whole family involved. You got to go buy the other parts. Well, it's the same thing here. You, you start with what you must have and what's going to, again, be kind of closest to the dollar and closest to efficiency and keep you in and your recruiters in one space. And then you build off of that always with integration as a priority. And I see a lot of particularly smaller agencies, which is one of the reasons I opened my firm is because I feel like the small to mid-sized firm are just underrepresented and undervalued to technology partners, but they have a big impact on our industry and we have to make it easy for them to be innovative. And we don't necessarily do that all the time. And Building your stack with integration in mind, I see a lot of that, well, I can get this free CRM or I can get this free ATS or it's free for 90 days or what have you, but where does that position you in scalability and in the long term? It means you have to lift and shift and migrate data. Migrating data can be very expensive. And so don't fall victim to some of the pretty shiny free things. Think about the long term. Well, that's where the end in mind comes in, right? Like you have to have the end in mind and then you figure the easiest short-term, long-term wins. You modularly start, right, to Jack's point and to your point, but you have to leave the opportunity to add to get to where you want to be. Right. I think that's where people start to fall short because they're like, oh, like, I'm just going to go here. But in their head, they have to say, can I add to it easily? Yeah. And are you taking a risk at that point that's like Laura made a really good point around some of the more affordable solutions? People will just want to keep it simple and that's great. But this technology can be your disadvantage or it can be your advantage when you're a smaller staffing firm, right? We also work with a lot of smaller staffing and search firms. I agree they're underrepresented from a marketing point of view, from a technology point of view. They're going up against big businesses, right? Even medium-sized businesses, 100 or 200 recruiters. Those guys have big databases. They have more access. They have more process. They have more brands. But they also move a lot slower. And certainly if you're going up against some of the nationals, right? I've been into many of these nationals pitching different concepts and stuff and their technology is 15 years old. You know, someone decided 20 years ago, it was better to build it and buy it. And now they're still dealing with some of the pain from that. So they're like these giant oil tankers, right? They can hold a lot. They're super powerful. They have big engines, but they take like five days to turn around. And if you want to be, you can be this little speedboat that just runs rings around them by being really sophisticated with the stuff that you implement. Equally, you oh, know, yeah. <laughs> equally. Jack, Jack, I love that. I love that metaphor. And I just, it just brought me back to you crashing a boat when you were exactly. crashing Jack. Jack, we are like soul friend because my analogy <laughs> has always been the big firms are like this big cruise ship with like 27 tugboats trying to pull them out of port because they just do not move quickly. And so I feel like the little guys have this huge agility advantage. And if they just make the right investment. Exactly. Yeah. And instead Quick. some of them are sat there paddling in a canoe going, I just work harder, you know, that's my advantage. I can work harder than that giant engine. <laughs> uh, sounds awful. After a short word from our sponsor, we'll get to the second part of the episode. This 
This episode is brought to you by Staffing Industry Analysts. SIA is a global advisor on staffing and workforce solutions. For over a quarter of a century, they've been delivering business intelligence and leading insights to the staffing and workforce solutions ecosystem and to its members, giving them a strategic edge in this fast-paced and competitive global talent marketplace. To learn more, visit staffingindustry.com. SAA's renowned annual executive forum, North America, returns this March. Connect with other senior level executives, thought leaders, innovators, and experts at the epicenter of the industry at this must-attend staffing leadership event of the year. Definitions time. Here we go. I got them all pulled up for us. And I really like this first one. So let's go back to the integration definition, Lauren. Like you kind of explained why it works and why it's important. I didn't find a direct technology one, by the way, guys. So we're going to go with this one and then we'll adjust it. The process by which the different parts of an organism are made a functional and structural whole, especially through the activity of the nervous system and hormones. So that's the definition for a human body, right? But if you just say, hey, the process by which different parts of an organization's technology purchases or groups are made functional and structurally whole, especially through being able to pass data back and forth through webhooks or API calls. Sure. I mean, you can simplify it. Integration is really an actor instance of combining into an integral whole. Like that, I just wanted to use the word organism in a freaking podcast. Stop being so. Anyway, it's it's creating one solution. Integration creates one central nervous system. Okay, so guys, API call. Uh, what did what did we call it earlier? Apples. Was it the guanas cereal? Yeah. It stands for application programming interfaces. So it's basically how data gets passed, or things get passed back and forth between technology or applications, right? There are three main types of API calls, right? Like there's partner APIs, which is like Able integrating with Staffing Future, okay? Or Able integrating with Bullhorn. That's a partner API. There's internal APIs that you can build because you have two things that you built and now you need to connect them, right? But all of these really depend on these three things. One is a REST API which is a representative state transfer, probably one of the more popular APIs that is used. Then there's also the SOAP, which is a simple object access protocol. SOAP and REST, there's obviously, you can look up the definitions why you use one or the other to be a little more educated, but those are the two main ones. And then there's also a JSON or XML one. So look up those three if you want to define them more, we can help you out. And there is a great, really great analogy for APIs. It's like a menu, right? So like a drink menu. And you step up to the bar, you're given the menu, there are several drinks on it. And you can look at that menu like the API. And if you order things that are on the menu, then your bartender can serve those up. If you order something that's not on the menu, then that's where we have to get creative and you have customizations you have more development work, then that costs money. So always remember, configure, don't customize. Unless you're James Bond and you're on a train and you are looking for possibly the best drink ever, which he called a Vespa or Vesper. We want to configure, which is what APIs are for. They're on the menu. They're easily plugged in and using. Well, I figured staffing would appreciate the drink and bar menu. (laughs) They would. (laughs) We know how to party. That's why I like staffing people. That is an important piece of of when you're looking at people that have APIs. Do they have open APIs or do they play well with others? How many things are tied to those APIs? And one of the biggest ones in industry is 
can and how easily can you tie a custom field to an API? Because you say configure, don't customize, but there are organizations that we know that are out there where you can go and build a custom field in your APS, get it tied to the API and run with it in five minutes. And there's other ones where that gets added to the roadmap six months from now. And that's a big difference. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think that's still under the configurable thing because that ATS made that custom field highly configurable, right? Like they already did the work for you. They did. Which is why you pay more sometimes because you want the things built easily to use the first time. I'm preaching to the choir, the three people. Yes, because long-term configurability, that's again, long-term configurability, scalability. Those are all the things that you have to take into consideration when you're choosing your courses. Got it. And then the last, let me just get the last definition, webhook, which is basically a really simple API call, right? Like you're calling to get data based on an event that happens, an event being you change data or you change a status. Which I think everyone understands, right? You, you change a field. And it's a simple call that's based, it's a web based call, right? So HTTP based. If something changes in Jack's website, a webhook will call, right? Do you use webhooks to get into Bullhorn or, or where do you use webhooks? We Jack? use webhooks all the time with our HIPAA integration, just to push and pull data, right? So we're going to run a webhook into the applicant tracking system, call the API, give it some data, and then get information back to confirm that data or sometimes present information back to us. So it's a little simpler version of an API, I feel like, is the best way to define it for somebody. Yeah, it's more like the call that the API is making, yeah. So the API the face, and then the webhook is the call. That is the order that you're placing at that bar. Got it. I like it. Perfect. So hopefully that helped. We'll put, we'll put the worksheet out. You guys will get all these things. All right, so we did some basic work. We said, hey, Lauren's going to pitch. She's going to come in and talk to you about having the end in mind. Making sure there's a wraparound porch, which is my thing, by the way, for a dream house. <laughs> Lawrence is a spice rack. Jack kind of added to it. And by adding to it, he said, hey, let's figure out and let's boil it down to what modules are important to start, but also leave room to grow. So we still have the end in mind, which is the growth, but we try to modularly figure out where we're going to start. Because to Lauren's point also, it's like, hey, these things are expensive. Like We can't buy all these things at once. It's not efficient. Let's Let's get wins to grow revenue, to buy more things, to grow revenue even further. Letting humans do what they're good at, which is talk to people, and have mildly serious, also mildly ridiculous conversations, a.k.a. this podcast episode. And um, a boating accident. And a boating accident. <laughs> yes. Also a dog barking really loudly in the beginning of the episode, which is fine. I find uh, them. I am on a farm. Yeah, you live on a farm. I only, from now on though, only if the goats interrupt us will I accept it. I'll open the window next time then. Yeah. Bah, don't bah. scare me. <laughs> All right. So we got the end in mind. Now you're going to go and you're going to say, okay, Lauren, you kind of went into it with the tech stack piece. So we got through the tech stack, which is organizing the vision, right? Like, hey, how do we use technology and people? Because people are part of the peripheral of the tech stack and in the middle of it that are going to drive it forward and help to do things in it, right? So maybe let's talk about, I think this is a good topic of conversation to kind of not end with, but like get towards the end of here, this conversation with is, how do you plan for people to be a part of it? And is that something that comes up in this? Like, you can't go in and tell a CEO, like, hey, you can fire all your people, automation is going to do all this. Like, 
No one wants to do that. I think it's a terrible idea. I don't think that's how we want to be because we're a people industry. So how do you work people into this tech stack idea as part of the sales pitch? Yeah, I was actually talking with a customer yesterday, two customers, and they're in different locations and they have just purchased a candidate engagement automation. And, you know, there's this sense of overwhelmment. I want to make those phone calls. We normally make those phone calls. We give white glove service. I don't want some random message being sent out. And I said, okay, there are two things you really need to think about. What are some of the things in your day that you never get to, that you never feel like you have time for, that you know will add value to your business, but you just, for whatever reason, you never get to them? And then the second thing I want you to think about are all the repetitive tasks that you do over and over. And you know, if you could just get an assistant or you could just get a little bit of help to take some of those tasks, you could spend more money on more revenue generating activity or something closer to the dollar or engaging with your customers or doing QC calls. You know, that technology is supposed to enable people to do more. I mean, I think about if I, for God's sake, had Hearfish or Sense when I was a recruiter, I'd have made six figures my first year because like I'd have figured out how, how to do more with less because there's so much that I wanted to do with my people in a day and that I just wasn't humanly capable of. And if I could have created some engagement automation to say, hey, I'm here, all things point back to me. And I think automation in particular is all how you set it up. Even if you're a professional services firm, and that's the first type of firm to kick back on automation, I said, why why don't you have your first message be, hey, we're getting leaner, we're getting faster, and we're investing in technology, and that's going to change the way that we communicate. So now we can communicate via phone, or now we can, you're going to see some, so teeing up that you're investing in this fancy new technology, let that be your first automated campaign. But the reason that staffing is still around is just like And this isn't to poop on Upwork, but like I need help right now. And I'm really hesitant to reach out to an Upwork because I can't see it, feel it, touch it, right? I want to talk to somebody on the phone and I want to know that they've worked with that person before. And I want to know that that I don't care about your star rating. I want to know that you know somebody that I know and you did a good job. And so that's why staffing is still here is because people still inherently trust other people and they want something that's more tangible. And that's why I don't think it's going away. So how do we invest in technology that's going to help enhance all of the things that make us so great at creating long-lasting relationships? I like that. This keeps the human in it, right? Guys, get over your white glove service. <laughs> it's It can still be white glove with automation. You got, yeah. I was intoxicated one night at dinner with a client. No. And they were just like, we're white glove. And I'm like, why can't you be white glove with more automation? Like, why can't you get more done? Why can't you work smarter, not harder? I mean, yeah. And then like Maurice Fuller, we interviewed him. He's like 30% of a recruiter's day is usually actually meaningful, valuable stuff. It was either Maurice or Tom. My head is combining all these things right now. But 70% is administrative repetitive tasks that like don't add any value. And just to give you an idea, I was talking to Raymond Penny from Kylo, and they were talking about this new tool to submit to VMSs. And if you've ever submitted to a VMS, like a packet to get someone accepted, it's a pain in the ass. Like it takes a lot of time, right? Travel nursing firms know that. Anyone who works with a VMS knows that. But they made a tool that allowed one person to submit 126 candidates in one day to a VMS. 
Why the hell would you not use that if you had it? So with that said, Jack, go ahead. Tell me your part on how you would pitch this. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Same thing. I remember at Broadbean, we used to talk about all the time that it could save you in a day. And people go, oh, well, I don't need that time save. My recruiters post the jobs at the end of the day or whatever. And people would make that argument all the time. Like, if you free up their time, they can make more phone calls. I don't care. They can sit there till 10 p.m. at night. They can post the jobs there. No one wants to phone at 10 p.m., right? And then eventually you get these people around full circle and, and you get them to look at it and they realize, well, actually now, now that we do this, we do have efficiency, but we can post a job in our lunch break instead. And now our jobs are live nine hours earlier than they were supposed to be. So we're getting application nine hours earlier. And also now that we're using a system, there's reporting. So we can actually establish ROI and we can start putting the right money in the right place. And then there's user and behavior reporting. Oh, and actually one of those reports is telling us that if we post our jobs at 10 p.m., that's the worst time to post them because no candidates are surfing at 10 p.m. looking for a job. And then the East Coast comes online and they all go and post jobs at 6 a.m. Your job postings are on page two or page three and no one's actually seen them and the conversion of candidate is really, really poor. So that's just one example where I think people just get misled by it. Can I jump in real quick? Yeah, sure. Talking to Josh from Serenum, a customer will call, they'll push out a job and in four seconds, one of the Serenum's customers gets a shift filled. Four seconds using an on-demand platform. So kind of to iterate your point of like, oh yeah, we'll post them late at night. You're done. Like it's over with already. So sorry, Jack, go ahead. No, no, and that's it, right? And there's all those other intangibles around not just the time saved and the process and the efficiency, but that reporting element. You know, we focus a lot on the marketing tech stack and reporting is utterly essential in all of that, right? I think the other thing that's worth thinking about is recruiters don't necessarily need another individual tool. So you talk a little bit, I think the original question, walking it back a little bit, was how do the recruiters or how do we work with recruiters to implement this? And yeah, it's misleading to turn around and say, hey, you're not going to need to touch any of this, right? We're going to come in, we're going to build you an amazing website, we're going to tie in an automation solution, an automated referral solution, an automated rep management, automated social distribution, email automation, and you don't do anything, right? But at the same time, it is possible for leadership and management to put a lot of time in that, report on it, analyze it, optimize it, and do a great job with it. And it really not to get too in the way of a recruiter's day, obviously a bigger influx of higher quality leads. If the triggers are in the ATS and the triggers are being driven by their general behavior, they talk to people, they update this, they make notes, they do things that they need to do anyway. And all the backend technology is running off of that data. It's not like they're sitting there manually triggering, yes, do this, yes, do that. Those are the user-driven solutions that might save a bit of time, but still come down to that deck of cards where you've got individual recruiters, individually trained, doing their own thing, working their own desks, and it's not really a scalable business. So I think a lot of these elements, you can have great success in with back office, right? Where the recruiters, it doesn't need to change their day, but it is misleading to imply that there doesn't need to be hands-on users within that business. And that's why, not to go on a tangent, but if you are trying to grow a 100-user staffing firm to a 250-user staffing firm, and you don't have a proper CRO, and you don't have a proper CMO, and you don't have anyone running the technology department that's not literally there fixing people's outlook, like that's where it's going to fall down because you can buy the stuff. And as Lauren says, you want no one to implement it, analyze it, optimize it. Some of the smaller ones, they can work with people like me and Lauren and get what they need out of that. But that's really where the rubber meets the road. No, I love it. I think, and I've heard all these talks before. So like, I've been on these calls with you guys. I've understood this part of it. So I think it's good to say like, hey, to Lauren's point and your point, Jack, like the humans still have a huge part of this, but technology also has a huge part of letting humans 
like I say this a lot internally to the Able team, but like I think I maybe made five cold calls last year at Herefish because we were so good at pay-per-click. We had a lot of groundswell and a lot of noise happening. We were using tools to drive sales leads. I think at the end, and Travis might yell at me or Bullhorn might yell at me, but we were getting like 36 qualified leads a month inbound for two sales guys, right? Me and Chris Dews at that point. But we were getting 15 to 20 when it was just me. So like, I didn't have a goddamn minute to make a cold call on it. We were closing deals and growing rapidly, right? So like, if you aren't thinking that way, I think this is what Jack is saying, then how do you expect to grow, right? If it's all brute force, which is what I call it, you can call it whatever you want. If it's all brute force, right? The one man rowing in the boat, his back's getting jacked. He's super exhausted and he's just like, He's posting jobs at 10 p.m., even though he knows he shouldn't be doing it because it's not going to get any attention, but he's still doing it because that's how he's been doing it forever. Yeah, we're at time here, so we're getting close to it. I know we wanted to talk about budget. I think we can do that as we talk about a size of a firm. Maybe that's more relevant on a different conversation. Is there anything that either of you guys wanted to throw in, kind of keep it under two minutes or a minute, to kind of wrap around this 101 lecture class that we just kind of delivered here? Yeah, look. I think one of the things that I get resistance on from small firms is planning, right? And if there's one thing that my dad taught me, proper planning prevents piss poor performance. And he said it just like that. And so there is something to be said for going through the activity of the vision, the desired end result, what are the have to haves, and then what are the resources we have to execute on the, the things that we want? As we continue this conversation, we'll get into some of the weeds of all of this. But putting the effort into planning, though, and that's where I kind of lose the attention sometimes of some of the smaller firms because they're like, I need it now. I need to turn it on and it needs to go. And Well, they're used to working in their business and not on it, which has a different mindset. So you need to get them out of working in the business, which is da 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 to let's be methodical, let's build a plan. But that's totally normal for recruiters. All right, go ahead, Lauren, sorry. No, you're exactly right. We're, we're too in the, it's got to go, 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 go. And we have to take just a little bit of time to kind of build the pathway to where they're going. And so I know there's not a lot of patience for it, but the planning really does help to get to the desired end result. And where usually I come in and I put together big bids is where the planning hasn't been done and we're coming back and we're having to clean up. I don't think agencies, large, medium, and small, realize the consequences of not doing this stuff right and not making good choices based on the longer term vision. It is quite costly. Yeah, because if you don't plan, right, you got to measure twice, cut once, because if you just cut, you cut then once, you got to go back and buy more wood. You got to go back and buy more wood because you messed up. All yeah. right, Jack, go ahead. Thank you, Start make sure you actually do something, take some action. Don't kid yourself into thinking that the future is never coming. I remember 10 years ago, people saying job boards are going to die. And then five years later, I see everyone said job boards are going to die. Job boards are not going to die. Where are we now in 2020? Job boards are literally dying, right? Indeed, not a job board. ZipRecruit is not a job board. Talent.com isn't really a job board. They're the three largest sources of traffic. LinkedIn is not really a job board. You've got all these other elements that come into play. The cribbles and monsters really have died or are dying. It's exactly the same with mobile apps, right? I remember 
selling all the top bananas at Broadbean 12 years ago. Yeah, mobile apps are a big thing. They're going to be a big thing. They weren't really there. They took forever to come. Now they are a big thing. They're super relevant. Same with chatbots, right? If all this stuff is coming, yeah, you hear about driverless cars five years ago and you go, where are they today? But don't kid yourself that they're not going to be there. And it's the same with a lot of this technology stuff. With COVID, you're seeing 10 years worth of change happen in two years. And there genuinely are light industrial healthcare organizations out there that are used to doing stuff on paper, typing it up, entering it into self-hosted ATS systems, that change servers, running their Outlook, now that their team is out to work for remote, now that their team have a laptop that have just been absolutely caught short with this pandemic and the heart goes out to them because that happens to a lot of people. What it represents is the fact that if they didn't have this process change, they were going to be there anyway because all of their people are working twice as hard as everyone else. And that means you need two people to do one person's job. That costs twice as much. No one can afford that. So we focus on the human element. We look at what's the skill of good recruiter, what's the skills of a good salesperson, a good manager, what's the value in your brand, in your niche. Everything else can fall by the wayside. If we can make it more efficient, let's do that. It's not moving away from that value proposition. It's just making us better at what we do. And I think the easiest way to simplify it, to your point, Rob, I remember running call reports back at Broadbeam when we used to smash the phones and being like, oh my God, someone spent three hours on the phone today. That's amazing. I have my Zoom meetings scheduled back to back pretty much every day from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. I'm talking or listening for 12 straight hours, engage with people on visual, and then I get to emails. So I'm doing four or five times as much valuable work today at Start in the Future because of the way my day is scheduled, because I'm not doing any of that busy work. And it's, it's the same thing, right? It's, you've got the right process to get the right leads. You don't need to waste time banging out cold calls because you're ranking well on SEO. You've got the right workflows. You've got good referral partners. Whatever it is, it's just massively more efficient. Awesome. And guys, kind of to recap that, Jack is saying with good marketing, you get to have more conversations to talk to people that want to talk to you instead of trying to call them, which there's still value in. Don't get me wrong. Like you need sometimes you need to call, but there's also a value in having the right marketing technology behind you to make sure that people know who the hell you are before you call them, because that's a warm call is always way more fun than a cold call. So with all of that said, Lauren, Jack, really appreciate you guys. Guys, this is Tech Stack. 101, how do you think about modernizing digital transformation of your business? COVID in this year, in 2020, has rapidly increased the need to be digital. And if you don't feel that, God bless you, because I don't know what rock you're living under, but if you're still successful and growing, kudos to you. But everybody else on the planet, digital, digital, digital. Lauren, thank you. Captain Jack, thank you guys. And we will do this again text act 202 or whatever we want to call it and yeah and there will be no ask lauren because this is technically just one long ask lauren so for this (laughs) that's right all right guys thank you so much thank you guys